0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 53 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 28th of November, 2010, entitled, God, the Holy Spirit, part 15, and the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles this morning for our scripture reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word beginning in Ephesians chapter 4 and reading verses 1 through 16. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Father, We thank you so much again today, Lord, just, Lord, for the privilege of being here in your house, that as we gather here, that we can come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as your children, and Lord, have access to your throne even now because of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he accomplished for each and every one of us. Lord, I trust and pray that for each and every one here today, that Lord, has experienced a new birth and knows you as their Lord and Savior. I pray this morning, Lord, that as their hearts and minds are focused upon you and that our hearts are receptive for your word, I pray that by the power of your Spirit you would speak to our hearts and give us something, Lord, that would help us, Lord, that would strengthen us, that would encourage us, that would challenge us, that somehow we can leave here today a bit more like our Savior. And Father, if there be anyone in our midst this morning that, though maybe they are saved, but Lord, they've not been walking that life that they should walk. They've been walking at a distance, that are far off, they're maybe backslidden today. We pray that you might draw them near to you this day, and that they would be receptive to that which you have for them. Lord, we would especially pray for anyone in our midst this morning that has never been saved, that has never been born again has never experienced a new birth. Father, whatever their background and wherever they may come from, however good or bad or whether uh, a little or, or a lot of religion, we pray that today they would come to recognize and see Jesus Christ for who he is. They would realize, Lord, that his sinners, that he came and died on the cross and paid the price for our sins. But I pray that today that they might receive and accept that gift for themselves. or that they might be able to realize and experience Lord, that which can only come through the washing of the blood be part of your family for now and eternity. May everything that takes place here today bring honor and glory to you. Lord, may you touch and empower and speak the words that you would have spoken through thy servant. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. When well, it becomes not just impractical, but impossible after a while to really give a review of where we are. We've been in our series on contending for the faith, and if I'm not mistaken, if I haven't miscounted somewhere, we're on the 53rd of the sermons in that series. And of course, as we're speaking on the fundamentals of the faith, the foundational truths, because we saw in those early messages that we as Christians... Are to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There are certain fundamentals that cannot be sacrificed, that cannot be compromised, that we cannot waver from in any way because too many have done that already. As we have been moving through the fundamentals, we have been most recently looking at the teachings, the fundamentals, Concerning God, the Holy Spirit. And we're on part 15 of that particular thought on God, the Holy Spirit. And as we have looked at it, we have looked at, of course, the promise of the Spirit, the person of the Spirit, the purpose for which Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit to us the practice of the Holy Spirit, what we can see, not what man tells us, but what we can see in the Word of God that the practice of the Holy Spirit was. We've looked at the power of the Holy Spirit. And most recently, we've been looking at the presentation of the Holy Spirit. We've seen in Scripture that the Holy Spirit's presence can be seen through, one, boldness in our witness, secondly, through holiness in our living, through our praise and our worship and our thanksgiving, through our submissiveness to the will of God. We've seen how that he can be seen through the fruit of the Spirit in the believer's life love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And then we've been looking in most recent weeks how that the Holy Spirit is seen through the gifts of the Spirit. And of course we said when we began speaking on the gifts of the Spirit that it is certainly an area that brings about much controversy. And Though I'm not trying to take more time than necessary, I'm trying to make sure that there's one thing that is certain, that if you disagree with me on what I am preaching and teaching on this subject, then you're going to have to disagree with what we're pointing out in the Word of God. There's so many things that we can be led astray. And, of course, we saw that these gifts that we are speaking about, what we're talking about, the gifts that we have from the Lord We talked about these spiritual gifts that are individually given to each and every believer. We talked about how that those gifts are distributed. We saw that, of course, God distributes those gifts to each and every one of His children. And, of course, He does it through the Holy Spirit. If we are to understand, the spiritual gifts and what they're all about, it's important to realize that they are distributed by God himself through the Holy Spirit, that they are distributed according to the grace that is given, the Bible teaches us. You don't get something because that you happen to be better than somebody else or better at something than somebody else. It is totally and completely a work of God's grace, undeserving on our part. And of course, they are distributed not so that you can show someone how spiritual you are, but we see clearly in the Word of God that just as they are given by grace, they are given for the good of the entire body. So we find that as we come together as a local body of Christ, that these gifts that the holy spirit gives are to be used together collectively for the whole. And then we've been looking at the diversity of gifts. Just what are we talking about? I won't recap all of them this morning for sure. We uh, we looked last time and we saw that uh, in our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and then again in Romans chapter 12 that there were 11 gifts that were mentioned in 1 Corinthians and six more that, uh, or seven more, but one of them was the same prophecy, which made a total of 17 different spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the Word of God. So that's quite a few different gifts. And as I said then, I do not believe that is meant to be an inclusive list whatsoever, but it gives us an example of what God can and will do in our midst we looked at examples of what God will and can do through believers, through spiritual gifts, things that are, you can't take the credit for, things that God does through you that only he can receive the glory for. They are given by him. They are for the purpose of both meeting the needs of his children and ministering to the body of Christ as a whole the local church, we've seen in all of this that it's all for the purpose of Christ. It's all for the continuance of his work until he returns to take his church out of here. But as we see all of these differences amongst all these different gifts that are given to God's children, I said to you, Sunday before last or whenever it was, that's not all before that because we had our anniversary. Not only does he show us the diversity of these spiritual gifts that we looked at originally which are given to individual believers for the body as a whole, but I want you to notice today here in the book of Ephesians that he also gives these spiritual gifts to the body as a whole, for the individual believer and the body. We find that in our reading in Ephesians this morning, the first three verses, Paul said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy Of the vocation wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness and longsuffering and forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, again, as he begins to approach this subject, he is placing such importance upon our attitude towards these gifts and towards each other, as well as our actions. So much of what we see today is, is a big show that's being put on in the name, that it has nothing to do with. He speaks here of the humility and the lowliness of mind. Nothing is being done for self, for vainglory, for me. It's always for others. Again, placing the emphasis here upon the unity of the oneness of the body. If you've been in church very long at all, if you've been a Christian very long at all, you know that most of the attacks that come against our churches is not the world on the outside. It's the devil on the inside. He comes in through the side doors as we first began to see, unawares. He fights from within. We find that the same thing, so many times, little self-pride will begin to try to work up and rather than all that is being done, being done and truly for His glory, begins to be done for that little pat on the back, that feel me good, what it'll do for me. Paul begins once again, we see this time and again, in all that we've looked at on this subject, He begins with this matter of the attitude and the actions of each and every one of us with an emphasis upon the unity of the body and doing all that we can. Notice he goes on a very familiar passage when he says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. As we look at God, that's why many times rather than just using the word Trinity and knowing that what we mean when we speak of God and the Godhead in all of his fullness in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I often refer to it as the triunity, the oneness of God. There is no division. There is no fighting for position. There is no haggling between them. The oneness, the perfectness that is there. Again, we see here in this passage, as we have seen in the others that we have looked at, the oneness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that is working together through all of this, one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. We have many today that will tell us that there's one God, but that we're all just trying to get to that same God in some different way. Folks, if that's the case, then we have no hope. We have no hope of ever finding Him because the Word of God doesn't teach that. And if we don't have the Word of God, if our faith is not founded upon God's Word and what He says, then what hope do we have we're reminded here of the oneness of our God, the, great, the greatest example of all, to all of us, because though they are unique in their ministries, they are one Godhead, one God, perfect in unity and oneness. And folks, as the body of Christ, that's what we should see within our local church, Verse 7, he says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. After emphasizing again the importance of the unity and the oneness as a whole, we find this word, but with everything that was just said, everything about the unity, the oneness of the body, with all of that in mind, there is still an emphasis that he places upon you and I and every individual believer today. He says, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. The passage, of course, serving to reinforce not only the importance of the unity of the whole body, but also the individual that makes up that body and the individual gifts and that grace by which those gifts are given through Christ and that grace by which they must be used. He goes on in verses 8 to 10. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 8 is actually a quote from Psalm 68, verse 18. And here what the Apostle Paul is doing under inspiration is asserting the fact that Christ has the authority and the right to bestow any gift he wants to on anybody that he wants to on each individual believer based upon his incarnation, upon his crucifixion, upon his resurrection. He earned that authority. He has that authority. No one can question the authority of our Lord. You see... He did triumph over Satan. He did triumph over sin. He did triumph over death. And his victory set all of those free. Yes, that were held by Satan and sin and captivity. The Bible says here that he literally descended into the lower parts, into Hades itself. Why? we won't spend a lot of time there this morning. (laughs) But he went to set all those Old Testament saints free, praise God. You see, it took the blood of Jesus Christ to save every one of them, just like it does you and I today. We know that when the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, that there was a, a gulf fixed, and on the other side was this place called paradise. The Old Testament saints couldn't go to heaven yet because Jesus hadn't died on the cross and shed his blood yet. And nobody has ever been saved and never will be saved any other way except through Jesus Christ. Their faith was in a promise from God and that God had promised and they believed him. We find that when Jesus died and he shed his blood, the Bible says before he ascended first, he descended first into the lower parts. Praise God, he went to lead them home. (laughs) because then the price had been paid. The Messiah that they'd been looking for had arrived, and he had paid the price. All of those Old Testament symbols, all of those sacrifices, everything that had been done by faith, pointing to that day when Jesus himself would be the sacrifice that would die upon that cross in their stead. But you know what? (laughs) He not only let all of the Old Testament saints free, but well, he made the path clear for all the New Testament saints as well. The Bible says now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Where's he at? He's at the right hand of the Father, praise God. There's no waiting around and soul sleeping and waiting here and there. When we leave this life, we're present with him. Why? Because Jesus Christ was victorious He was the propitiation for our sins. He met every requirement that God had for us. Now, I want to repeat that we've seen in the other two passages in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, we've seen a great diversity of gifts that are given to each individual believer but always given not for self, but for the good of the body as a whole. We see that here he gives gifts to the body as a whole, for the good of each individual believer. (laughs) And yes, again, ultimately, for the body as a whole itself. You see, we don't get from God by trying to see what we can get, what we can get, what we can get. We do it by seeing what we can give. When our focus is upon the giving, He will take care of every one of our needs that we could possibly have. The gift that God has given is is not for your own personal benefit, but it's for the benefit of the person sitting beside you and the person sitting across to you and every other individual here today. But also, God gives gifts to this body called Bethel Free Baptist Church and to other bodies. And He gives them that the body might, yes, function together in oneness, but that it might meet the needs of the individual because, you see, the simple truth is no one, no individual, no religion, no denomination, no structure, no club, no society, anyone anywhere with all of the education and all the abilities and all of the talents, none of them. There's only one faith. There's only one calling, folks. There's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Well, if that's not the truth, and if we're going to take that verse away and say, well, there are other ways, then what else do we take away? What hope do we have? I say that what we're talking about is that our faith, the faith that was once for all delivered, must be founded upon God's Word totally, completely, and utterly. We find that the gifts that we've talked about thus far we've seen that they are specific enablements that enables people to be able to do something that's not of themselves. And it's given to each individual. But we see here that these gifts are actually individuals with enablements that are being given to the body. He gives gifts to people. And he gives people as gifts. You see, notice what he says here. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, I'm afraid that it's going to take a little bit of time to get through this verse, but it's important. It's vitally important. You see, the problem is today, so many times, everybody says that they base what they believe on the Word of God. Preacher, can you be be wrong? You better believe I can be wrong. But God's Word can never be wrong. And the simple truth is is that so many times, any of us, if we are not so careful, we can take a verse from here and we can take a verse from there to make it meet what we already believe. Instead Instead of letting God's Word speak to us in its own context, that's why, folks, that as we look at this matter of the Holy Spirit, and we are looking specifically now at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I want to clearly stand before God one day and know that I've stood here and through his enablement, given you his word in the context that he gave it. You can draw some of your own conclusions and that will be between you and God. But I want to give you God's word as the foundation that those things are based upon. I want us to notice, first of all, as we consider this matter, I want you to notice the people that we see here in verse 11. And he, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave some. Jesus had the authority, as has already been shown in Scripture, He had the authority to give, and therefore he has given, notice that word, some. Remember that. Christ has not given all. He's not given everyone that is part of the body, that's part of the church. He's not given all of them, all of these gifts. Every church does not have all of these gifts. And please note that that word some appears before every one of those gifts. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Only some had each gift. Jesus Christ gave to some. He gave the gift of apostles. What? What? He is an apostle. I'm sure you've heard a number of different definitions, (laughs) and you can hear all kinds of different definitions today. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Let's read verses 12 through 16. The Bible says, "...and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray," speaking of the Lord Jesus, "...and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his..." First of all, he called unto him his disciples, and of them, of the disciples, he chose twelve whom also he named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called Zelotus, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. God knew he was a traitor when he called him. The Bible says he was the son of perdition. He was never saved. What I want you to realize here is that there were many disciples, there were many followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he chose from those followers 12 which he called apostles. Now we find that he chose those 12 apostles for a specific reason. These 12 were going to accompany him in his earthly ministry here upon this earth. Even the one that was a traitor that one day would betray Christ and ultimately hang himself. Turn with me, if you would, into the book of Acts chapter 1. Look with me at verses 21-22. Wherefore, these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, if you read all the verses in this passage, this is where the one is being chosen to replace the traitor that was one of the original twelve. And We see clearly in these scriptures that as they were choosing the one to take Judas' place, Jesus chose those first 12. Now Jesus has ascended back. Judas has betrayed him. Judas is dead. And so the 11 are choosing one to replace that one that's missing. There's at least two requirements we see here. First of all, they had to have been part of Jesus' earthly ministry from his baptism to his resurrection. They had to have been part of it and gone in and out with them and done these things. There wasn't some stranger that was going to be chosen and he had to personally, mark this down, have seen the resurrected Christ. He had to visibly be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he had rose from the grave. Now folks, it's worthy to note that this is the only time the only place in Scripture that an apostle was ever replaced for any reason. And that was to replace the one that never really belonged in the first place. Yes, he was chosen in God's providence. God never had to say, oops, I made a mistake. There was a purpose. But Judas never belonged. He was never saved. He was the son of perdition, the Bible calls him. He was a hypocrite the whole time. This is the only place. Judas was there as part of God's plan, just like the psalmist. Look back in Psalm 55. Notice that even the psalmist, all those years before Jesus came, Notice what he prophesied in Psalm 55, verses 12 to 14. He said, Where it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, And my acquaintance, we took sweet counsel together and we walked into the house of God in company. You see, the truth is, yes, that had an instantaneous meaning. David had faced that very same thing himself. but It also had a prophetic meaning. The Lord Jesus Christ himself realizing that it was one that was amongst him that was going to betray him. Please understand, it is important if we are to base our beliefs upon the foundations of Scripture, there is absolutely no place, no precedent in Scripture for what we hear and hear it called apostolic succession. Many today would claim that. I want you to notice a couple of passages. In our Ephesians where we've been looking today, turn back to chapter 1 and verse 1 and notice how that the Apostle Paul begins his introduction to this book when he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus. Remember that. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now notice back, if you would, turn back into the book of Romans chapter 11 and notice what it says in verse 13. He said, therefore, I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. And then look with me in one other place, and I want to make a couple of points In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter in our Bibles. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 7, the Word of God says, After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, Paul said, He was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. What I want you to see here is that there was the 12. Jesus Christ chose 12 men out of those followers that he had, which were the disciples, and he called them apostles. There was one amongst that 12 who was a traitor. And after he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, we then find that one was chosen to replace the one that never really belonged in the first place. And so there were still just that twelve. The Bible itself gives us one other man that was called an apostle, and that was the apostle Paul. Which made, if you would, and I've had listen, I'm I'm not gonna argue with people over some of these stupid little things. Some think that that the The 11 apostles just made a mistake when they chose Matthias, and so then God appointed the apostle Paul to correct their mistake and all kinds of stupid stuff. Folks, Jesus chose 12, but then there was one other man chose, which made the 13, which was specifically, though that doesn't mean that none of the other 12, we know that some of the others ministered to the Gentiles. We know that Peter was there at the house of Cornelius and all of these things, but the Apostle Paul had a specific calling upon his life to be an apostle to the Gentiles, the Bible teaches us. It's clear. The Word of God declares this man to be an apostle and that he was one born out of time. Yet even though he had witnessed the risen Savior on the road to Damascus that day, he was declared by God to be an apostle. Now I want you to look at another passage in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Amen, and this is talking about that next world that we've got to look forward to. Revelation chapter 21, (coughs) notice what it says down in verse 14. And the wall of the city... This is talking about the new Jerusalem, by the way. This is where we're going to spend eternity. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. (laughs) Those 12 apostles that were chosen. The Bible says that the new Jerusalem is going to have 12 foundations And he says very clearly that the names of those 12 apostles of the Lamb. I want you to notice the term apostle in itself. It has a general meaning of just one that is sent forth to minister, a messenger that is sent forth, one that is sent forth as a a messenger. And it's used of others in the New Testament Besides just these 13 that we have looked at here, this is important. Notice the 12 plus Paul, the 12, are the only ones ever anywhere in the Word of God that's referred to as the apostles of Christ, as the apostles of the Lamb, as the apostles of Jesus. None of those others are ever given that title. I'm telling you, these 13 were different. They were chosen for a specific task that God had for them. And they and they alone are called the apostles of Christ, the apostles of the Lamb. We find others like Barnabas and Silas and, and Timothy that that name apostle is used in a general sense, but none of them anywhere are ever referred to as the apostles of Jesus Christ, as these 13 are In the Word of God. Still in the book of Ephesians. Notice, was this in chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2. Notice what it says in verse 19. What I'm saying is, if these 13 were especially called, they were singled out, they were chosen, they were called by something that separated them from all the others. Well, What was specific and special about them? What were their responsibilities? Well, what does the Word of God tell us? In Ephesians chapter 2, he says in verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Notice. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. I'm saying that if you're born again, if you're a child of God today, if you fit into God's building, then it's built upon the foundation of those apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. There is no other foundation. We find that the great responsibility of these 13 that were set apart, one of them was to lay the foundation of the church to lay a solid foundation for us to build upon. We're talking about the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It hasn't changed. God hasn't changed his mind about one thing. The same faith that he delivered to us, that he gave to us right here, is the same faith that we're to stand upon, that we're to fight for, that we're to contend for today without compromise. We find that, notice in the next chapter of Ephesians chapter Chapter 3, notice what it begins in verse 1. For this calls I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, notice how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, and it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, by the capitalists, by the Holy Spirit. Yes, they were there for the laying of the foundation of the church, but they were also there for receiving and recording the Word of God, which makes up most of our New Testament that we hold today. These men were specifically used to be given revelation from God, to be God's spokesman upon this earth when he was building his church in its infancy and recording those words that you and I will still have them today to build upon the same foundation that the church began all those years ago. The 13 apostles of Christ, they were also given some special powers. In Hebrews Chapter two, Hebrews chapter two, we could look at many places, but I just want to give you to where you know, the word of God is telling you in Hebrews chapter two, verse three and four, the Bible says, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Preacher, what does all that mean? Well, I'm glad you ask. <laughs> I don't have time to tell you all of it this morning, though, but we'll come back to some of those. What I want you to realize, God gave some apostles. What is he talking about? Who were these men? What were they here for? We know specifically that they were these 13 men that were chosen of God, that were there for the laying of the foundation of the church that were there for the recording of much of God's word as he gave revelation through them and the New Testament was recorded. We know that he gave them specific powers to do miraculous things that people might really know who they were. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, notice what the word of God says in verse 2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth such an one called up to the third heaven. And the apostle Paul goes on. And basically what he saying here is, you know, Paul was actually called out of this world <laughs> to be shown some things. I mean, he wasn't even sure where he was at. This was, this was an amazing thing. But God was using this these things were to give clear confirmation of their position, of their authority that they had as apostles of Christ. While the word of God, as we know it in the New Testament, was still being written. And in closing this morning, he gave some apostles. We see from Scripture that he gave some. These apostles, 13 apostles of Christ. Who were the some that he gave them to? He only gave them to some. He gave some apostles. Well, in a very strict and physical sense, he gave them to the early church. We could say he gave them to the early churches because it was they that were establishing many of those churches they were going about. They were teaching and they were discipling. During that first century, we even refer to it many times as the apostolic age, when these men specifically were still alive and walking upon this earth. He gave to his churches these 13 men, these apostles. Listen to me. I'm not trying to be mean and unkind. We have, and I repeat, no instance, anywhere in the Word of God, where any of these thirteen men were ever replaced when they were died, when they died, when most of them, except for probably John, were actually martyred and had their lives taken from them. No one was ever replaced in Scripture except Judas the traitor. He was the only one. We don't have any grounds to believe that there's some kind of succession from those 13 men today, whether it be Rome and the Pope, whether it be some of the Pentecostal groups of today that still believe that there's been a succession of these apostles that have passed down through the ages. Folks, if they want to believe that, that's between them and God. I'm saying the Word of God knows nothing of it. It's not there. And I'm saying that we're supposed to be contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I hope that they're born again and my brothers and sisters in Christ. But we have no grounds to stand upon teachings that do not have their bases in the word of God. Now, as for those more general apostles of the church instead of the apostles of Christ, those that were sent forth with a message? Are there those that are still sent forth from the church today? Yes, there are. And some may call them apostles. But I like with the Latin word that came from it, missio, missionaries better instead. And the missionaries that are sent out as messengers today have absolutely no tie and no succession to the 13 apostles of the scriptures. But that's the only ones that I can find Bible. There should be messengers being sent forth from our churches today with the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and, yes, the establishing of New Testament churches, which is our precedent. He gave some apostles. Preacher, what does that mean? Well, thank God. Do you know that you and I are here today and we have a faith that was once for all delivered to the saints? We have those 13 men to thank for it. We have a solid faith today though. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to base our beliefs upon what any denomination or group or religion in this world tells us. I'm saying go to the word of God. We're to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I know everybody says, I believe the Bible is based upon the Bible. Well, when you stand before God one day, you can't stand there with your excuse. Well, so-and-so told me this, or this church told me that, or this preacher said that. You have no excuse. You have God's word, and that's what you'll be judged upon. And if you can find fault in what we're teaching according to God's word, then come to me. I don't need to hear any more men's opinions. I've read and heard those all of my life anyway. But I'm saying today, folks, we're contending for a faith that was once for all delivered. But it's not a denomination. It's not a religion. It's a faith that was once for all delivered. And yes, so many times today, we shy away from a lot of these terms. And many good Bible-believing Christians are afraid of terms like, The feeling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, just because people have abused them and taught wrong, we need to know what the Word of God teaches about these things. We need the gifts of the Spirit working in our midst. We need the Holy Spirit working in our midst. We need to get off of autopilot because we've learned to do everything so well ourselves and we need to let God work in our midst. But it needs to be God's way. We're not here to entertain I'm not here to make you mad, but I'm not here to make you glad, either one. I'm here God willing to just give the message that God has given. What is your faith today? What is it based upon? What is your Christian faith based upon? Is it based upon your infant baptism? (laughs) Is it based upon the good life that you've lived? Is it based upon what some church has told you? Folks, The cornerstone of the church today is Jesus Christ. We've seen throughout this, even when you're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the only reason, the only reason we can have those gifts today is because of what Jesus Christ did for you. He came to this earth. He willingly died upon that cross and shed his blood. Yes, they put him in that grave and they thought that he was defeated. They went back the third day, and guess what? It was empty. He wasn't there. The truth is, that's your only hope beyond that grave today. You see, he defeated death. He defeated sin for you. The Bible says, speaking of us as believers, you see, I can know today. I can know that he was the propitiation for my sins. But John said, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You see, today, your sins can be forgiven. You can never, ever stand and face a holy God with sin in your life. You can't. You can't be in his presence And I've said it many times, and I say it in closing today. You could be. You really could. Somebody somewhere in the world is. You could be the best person living on planet Earth today. I mean, you've lived better. You've done better than anybody else out there. But, folks, it only took one sin to bring all the heartache that you see in this world today, one sin of disobedience in the garden, because with sin came death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus wants you to be saved today. He wants you to have eternal life. He doesn't want you to be killed and destroyed by your sin. It's the only way, it's the only place it can take you. He wants to give you eternal life. You know, Andrew, it doesn't matter today doesn't matter what that I might have here that I'm telling you it's for Andrew. I could even hold it out to him and I could put it right in front of his face and he can see it and he can know it and he can believe what it is. But if he's not willing to receive it, it'll never be his. It might be everything that he would ever need in his life. But if he doesn't receive it, it'll never do him any good. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for your salvation. But you can walk out here today and you can leave it behind. You can open your heart. Recognize, yes, you're a sinner just like the rest of us. There's only one thing. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's only one thing that will clear your sins today. That's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He shed it for you. But if you walk away from it, it won't do you any good. Today, he defeated death for you. The tomb was empty, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you won't receive it yourself and recognize he is your only hope today. We're going to continue to look however long it takes us. (laughs) We need to understand God gave us those apostles and he gave them for a purpose. They were special. And we'll look at some of those other things as we move on. Even our final point in this series is the duration of those gifts. But for now, he gave some apostles. Aren't you glad that he did? Aren't you glad that we have a foundation today that's been built by those that Jesus Christ himself chose to lay the foundation for the church with him being the chief cornerstone? Father, I thank you today Lord, there's always, your word continues to amaze us. There's so much there. There's so much more that we could have said today, but we're always limited with time. Lord, I pray today that not by the wisdom of men, but by the power of the spirit that you might take and quicken the word of God and make it alive. And I pray, Lord, that Christians will have gained something today that Lord will somehow help them in the foundation that they're built upon, that they're standing upon in their Christian faith. But also, Lord, I pray that if there are those here that are lost, that have never been saved, I pray that you'd please, especially, Lord, we cannot convict a soul, only your Holy Spirit can do that. Would you speak to them and convict them by the power of your word today? Would you show them their need? Give them the strength and the courage, the faith that they need to take that step to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.